are you still trying to reinvent the wheel? Tens of thousands of professionals have attempted to solve the same challenges you're dealing with right now. Some of them failed, some of them succeeded. But very few of them succeeded and captured their proven approach to share it with the world. Mike Kunkel is one of these very few. He has been an enabler for over 30 years and has captured his proven approach in an extremely successful framework called the Building Blocks of Sales Enablement. Mike and I have now translated the Building Blocks of Sales Enablement framework into a learning experience that helps a new generation of enablement teams fast-track their journey to sales enablement mastery. Our combination of group coaching sessions, actionable video lessons, materials, resources, networking opportunities, and templates makes mastering sales enablement best practices faster and easier than it has ever been before. So if you want to stop reinventing the wheel, maximize business impact, and fast-track your career, consider joining a growing community of enablers at the Building Blocks of Sales Enablement Learning Experience. To learn more, visit goffwd.com slash blocks. That's goffwd.com slash b-l-o-c-k-s. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the very first installment of Sales Enablement Live of 2022. Guys, if 2022 doesn't sound futuristic, I don't know what does, honestly. If you probably, if you would have asked anybody in the 1990s what 2022 would look like, they would have uh, told you that we'll be flying around and flying cars and doing interstellar travel. But what do we do instead? We are arguing on social media whether cold calling is dead or not and we are sitting at home doing video conferencing in pajama pants uh, so let's make 2022 uh, truly futuristic and let's innovate and disrupt and this is exactly also the one of the topics that we'll be talking about in our live stream today let's go through the agenda quickly so number one i had the privilege of interviewing georgia watson on the on the state of sales enablement podcast this week it was an awesome interview for anybody who doesn't know georgia she is a sales enablement leader at ibm and for anybody who is as fascinated with technology as I am. IBM is a really amazing uh, company, has done a lot of innovating throughout this really long history. They actually started out uh, producing cheese slicers. So it's a apparatus that allowed you to, to better slice cheese in a more effective uh, manner. And so if you think about that these days, those guys are innovating in a way that they really disrupt whole industries by making it really easy for those industries to access artificial intelligence APIs. It's really amazing. And there was a lot of great insight in that conversation. Georgia has shared a lot of uh, her insights on what it takes to innovate and also what it takes to establish that sort of culture of innovation within an organization. So I'm really excited about sharing some of those insights with you. On top of that, uh, we'll also talk about some of the sales enablement or sales news that have been out there. In recent weeks, specifically, one particular news story that might not sound like a big sales news story on the surface, but I think it's a, a wake-up call for the whole for the whole software and startup world, and also has implications for some of the ways 
that uh, sales might approach the way they engage customers and offer value to their customers. And then, of course, as part of the agenda, as always, and if you're joining live, please feel free to drop your questions um, into the chat or comments. We will answer your most pressing questions. We had a few questions being submitted prior to this live stream, so I'll be focusing um, on those. And I'm not sure if she will be able to make it, but uh, Georgia said in advance that she will also be joining and attempting to answer any questions in regards to, to her insights on the podcast in the live chat. So either way, Guys, please make sure that you uh, drop any questions or comments that you might have into the chat and uh, we'll be attempting to cover them. Now, let's start out with the podcast from this week, the episode with uh, Georgia Watson. And there's a few uh, snippets and a few uh, sound bites that I, I want to go through. But before we get started with those, I just want to set the scene by talking briefly about innovation and what that really means in the context of business and sales enablement. So I think a lot of times uh, innovation is uh, really used in vague terms and uh, people oftentimes have a really vague understanding of what innovation actually means. And I think innovation oftentimes boils down to solving a problem that might exist within a business context in a new and better way. So it's not necessarily only about doing things differently, but it's actually about the focus on a specific problems and doing things better. And I think if you consider that, it becomes really obvious that you can really innovate every day of the week in your role. And I just see Georgia has joined the chat. Hey, Georgia, great to have you here joining as well. Georgia says, hello, please. Do share, please do share any questions here in the chat or feel free to message me directly too. Awesome, Georgia. Thank you so much. Let's look at the, the very first uh, snippet that we, that we have from the interview. So the very first snippet that we look at talks about design thinking in particular. So let's, let's take a listen. Innovation is more happening around the process adoption and the mindset in selling. So I think that's what makes the time that we live in so exciting because the innovation that is happening is so accessible suddenly, and it's not about owning a technology or owning a certain invention to realize that. It's more about the mindset, more about the flexibility and mentality and actually making those customer-centric processes happening. Yeah, totally agree. I think we often think of innovation as this single event or a flash of genius or some revolutionary new product or service. But the truth is, as you said, it includes all those different factors. It's a road. It's got long parts to get there as well. It's not a, a one flash, here's the new product, done, move on. And you mentioned design thinking earlier. So for those listeners who are not familiar with the concept, what is design thinking all about and how can it be used in sales enablement? So design thinking is, it's a methodology or a framework for solving problems, basically. What I really love about it is that it has the user as central. So because of this focus on the user, you can define up problems that you then want to try and, and solve. And with ideally the user's input, you can then create options for how to really address this. There are many different ways that it can be applied. Let me share a couple. So when the pandemic started, it was a really hectic time. I think anybody working in enablement or learning knows we were working at a rate of knots quickly trying to evolve all of our learning plans to fit the new context. And my team and I were just buried with work. We were drowning in spreadsheets. We had some really demanding stakeholders that we were trying to manage during this shift. And I remember my manager said to me, you need to innovate. 
And I thought, is she mad? I'm drowning. How can I have the mind space to innovate or do something differently? And I thought about it and I thought, why not? You know, we have to make the time for the things that really matter. And I set up a one-hour design thinking session with my team. We got together virtually and we ran this session on Mural and we came up with a number of ideas, one that became an award-winning sales enablement program. So just prioritizing it and then getting people together and getting people thinking differently is a great way to do it. Another one that I love is getting sellers to actually do design thinking with their clients. I love it because it then becomes a real partnership of the salesperson and the client team working together to solve the client's problem and really fully understand what the problem is and all the nuances in it and where everything fits and where everybody fits. And then, of course, you can shape a solution that really meets the client's need and you're doing it in a partnership. comes back to this idea is you're then really serving rather than selling. You're helping them really address their problem. That's awesome. Do you see the design thinking approach really being adopted fast or is there a steep learning curve in order to enable people to actually utilize design thinking? I think people understand it. I don't see it being adopted as quickly as I would. I see it as such a great opportunity, but everything takes time. All right. So yeah, design thinking, I could not agree more with Georgia. So I think if you, for anybody who isn't familiar with design thinking, it's a structured way um, of problem solving. And the kind of steps that um, you would go through in a design thinking uh, process is uh, to empathize. This is what Georgia said in regards to actually understanding the problem from a human perspective. So you empathize uh, with the person that is being affected by the problem. You, that then helps you to define the problem. You then ideate, uh, you prototype, and then you test. And then you, you refine the solution measure and try to iterate until you actually uh, find a solution to the problem. So I think that sort of structured approach to problem solving and, and that collaborative approach is really key to that innovation process that uh, Georgia has described. And I think oftentimes it's not the fact that we don't have time for those kind of exercises, it's that we don't make time. And I think especially if you tackle issues that are related to a process or a lot of time being spent on um, solving certain issues and that that investment in design thinking and that investment in using the design thinking to innovate can actually be a, a time saver in the back end so i think it's really that example that georgia brought of her going through that exercise and developing a award-winning sales enablement program by utilizing design thinking and collaborating with um, other people in our team. That's a really great example of innovation even happening in a high uh, pressure environment. But I, th I guess the key learning here also that the process actually plays a key role in that context. It's not enough to just leave innovation up to a random occurrence and something, uh, a random event happening where you sometimes just have an aha moment and uh, here you are, suddenly you have this great innovation that disrupts an industry. It really takes a deliberate effort and a process to increase your chances that you actually have that uh, home run in innovation that really makes a difference to your business. I think really amazing insight here from Georgia. And let's take a look at the, the next one here, which really talked about what sales enablers can do to innovate in their business. And I think this one is relevant not only to sales enablers, but really to any individual who 
might be thinking that establishing an innovation culture within their business is beyond them and it's not really in their power. I think in that context, I think this, this advice from Georgia here was really incredible. So let's take a look. So there's a lot of new sales enablement roles popping up and there's a lot of people entering the, the noble profession that is sales enablement and want to make a career out of it. What would be your advice to young sales enablers who want to drive innovation in their organizations and especially in organizations that might not necessarily have an innovative culture? What should they do? Yeah, this is a really good question, Felix. I think the right ecosystem has to be in place for innovation to thrive. Innovation does come with a bit of risk. It can work and be amazing and it can fail also. So if you are working in a place where there is already this culture of innovation and that mindset among your team and stakeholders, it makes it not easier. But where there is not an existing culture of innovation, it doesn't mean that you can't innovate and you can't drive change. So I'd say that because culture is created by people. Whatever the existing culture is, this can change as people change. So you can culture hack and co-create the culture yourself. So this may be in your immediate sales enablement team to get people to be opening up to new ideas or across your whole organization. The scale is really up to you. But I strongly believe that we can all be change agents and really make that difference. The other thing I'll say is make sure you find your allies across the business who can support what you want to do. So you need to find people who you can collaborate, who have a similar mindset and are open to trying new things or taking different approaches. So you can create maybe your own mini innovation system, your little network across the different areas of the business that you work with. We also have to make sure that our stakeholders, if you are doing something very new and different, I would always recommend piloting it. And there's nothing like a successful pilot to get everybody on board to help you scale and do something differently. But make sure your stakeholders are aware that we're testing something new. It may work, it may not. Here's our intention and here's its potential and try it. If it fails, great, you know how you can evolve it. And if it's successful, then you have something that you can use to go back to your stakeholders or your business and sell. Having this one success in a bag can really help you get everybody on board and support you. And the other thing I would say is to prioritize innovation. So back to the story I shared before at the start of the pandemic, you have to make time for it and you have to make time for it. So it could be blocking a small amount of time out in your diary that you're going to dedicate to coming up with different approaches to something you're struggling with. Or it could be with your team, getting them together and brainstorming solutions to a collective problem that you have or your sellers have. But making it a priority and getting time in and, and making it happen. The other thing you can do, of course, is if you have goals for the quarter or for the year or performance reviews, you can put in your own goals, you can put it in your team's goals, but most importantly, make sure you're then setting time aside to help make that happen. All right. Yeah, I think the what Georgia says here in regards to the um, actual process, I think it's really important uh, to realize that you can train your innovation muscle in that way. And as Georgia said, the challenge is oftentimes to put uh, time aside, but it's so important that you do. And I can only speak from my personal experience. If there is no innovation culture within the business that you operate in, 
it can be hard to create that uh, collaboration and uh, get the buy-in from other stakeholders to collaboratively work on uh, innovative solutions. Because especially if people are uh, really risk adverse and don't want to risk a innovative solution that they've been involved in failing, then there can be a hesitancy to be involved in the process. And I think a easy way for individuals to really train their innovation muscle is to uh, innovate on a departmental level, like in a a relatively safe space uh, where you can innovate uh, when it comes to processes and uh, the way you achieve the outcomes for your particular department before you then expand further out in the organization and try to create a bigger impact for your business and for your customers as well. So I think those are those are common approaches that I have previously witnessed and I, I've also uh, gone through myself when it came to that innovation process. And yeah, I think the the hesitancy oftentimes also stems from the hesitancy to potentially come up with a solution that might not work um, out well. So I think there's always a risk involved and it's important to actually realize that there is a risk and to get that buy-in across the organization. Of course, you should not risk your entire business model and innovate in a way that you might be risking any existing revenue streams, I would not suggest that. But as Mike Kunkel previously said in a blog post, there's two ways to change an organization. You can either like slowly, incrementally change things, or you can uh, make a clean cut and completely uh, replace all the things that you've previously done with new things. I think that incremental approach is where, where the magic happens. That clean cut approach is more reserved for startups uh, that don't have an established business model and that don't have any other choice than to innovate in order to to establish their place in the marketplace. So I think that's something to note. And also on top of that, I think a, another way to innovate that's grossly underutilized is by looking at other industries and actually transferring what's business as usual in other industries to your industry uh, where it might not be the case. And if you think about sales enablement, for example, if you look at industries outside of technology, sales enablement is a very uh, foreign concept and uh, might not be understood. I see that certainly uh, in my business. So I uh, run a sales enablement consultancy. When I speak to industries that are outside of tech, oftentimes sales enablement is uh, being viewed as something extremely innovative. Whereas when you uh, talk to anybody in the SaaS space, especially those businesses that are operating in the US, uh, sales enablement is pretty much business as usual. By looking at other industries, you're oftentimes also able to identify potential innovation for your industry. And I think that's something that doesn't happen deliberately very often. Oftentimes that happens by chance. If somebody enters a new role and actually comes from another industry and basically transfers what he or she has done for ages in that other industry uh, and then introduces that new methodology or that new way of doing things to another industry. But people who are really established in one industry hardly ever look over their shoulder at what's being done differently in other industries and what might be done Uh, better. So I think that's a worthwhile approach to innovate as well. Now to move on to the next um, agenda item, sales news. Of course, there hasn't been a lot happening over the Christmas period and January is also always very slow. 
But one new story that was really uh, massive was the the court case around Elizabeth Holmes, right? And for those of you who are not familiar with her story, she actually had her own documentary on Netflix as well, which I looked at the case of what happened in her business in all detail, very fascinating stuff. So she ran a startup called Theranos. And she was actually just recently convicted for uh, fraud because she developed a blood testing system and a blood testing device that supposedly could uh, run over 100 blood tests in a very small device that is basically the size of a shoebox and can do um, those kind of tests faster and more accurate than traditional blood tests that require way more blood and way more effort. And it actually turned out that the solution that she developed couldn't deliver on the value that she had promised to the buyers. And so the companies that that bought um, her technology essentially were misled. She also misled investors by uh, making it seem like she had a solution in place. And she was convicted for fraud. And her sentencing is going to happen in September. She's now uh, out on bail for 500,000 US dollars. So she's a free woman for now. But the sentencing is happening in September. And the reason why I think this is a sales story is because she was essentially a salesperson in that whole uh, setup, right? So she raised uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in investment. I don't know the exact numbers, so don't quote me on that one. But she raised a significant amount of money from really reputable investors and VC firms. And she also did that sales job when she closed really big contracts with pharmacy chains uh, in the U.S., and then wasn't able to deliver on that value. And I think the reason why that is a cautionary tale is not because I'm implying that there's companies out there or that are committing fraud in that way, but simply because I think there's oftentimes a risk still in the current and sales environment that sales teams overpromise and then underdeliver. And I think that's something that uh, sales enablement can really contribute to countering that sort of dynamic of customers not receiving the value that um, they were supposed to receive when they signed up to a certain product, especially in the SaaS space. And I think uh, customer success is specifically a, a crucial piece in that puzzle. So um, what I'm saying is it is really crucial to, uh, to take the learnings from that story in a way that you really understand that in that story, value wasn't delivered. Um, that was promised. And I think sales enablement specifically has a crucial role in uh, making the transition from customers signing up to a product and as customers receiving value from a product and equipping the customer success with all the crucial tools that they need to deliver value for the customers. And I recently had a chat with somebody who works in digital adoption and they essentially have the role of extracting value out of a product that was purchased for the organization because the customer success team on the vendor size isn't able to deliver that that value. And I think that's quite incredible. My favorite quote from that person was, uh, there's, there's hardly ever a service in software as a service. And if you think about that, that's a really big problem that apparently is so widespread that there's roles such as digital adoption being needed. And I think the way sales enablement can counteract that, that sort of dynamic is by equipping customer success specifically with the business acumen that is being needed to really truly understand the business problem that um, you are trying to solve um, for the customers by making them sign up for the product. And then also being able to collaborate with senior stakeholders in the business delivering 
and uh, solving their business problem for them through the software that, that is on offer. So that requires a much more consultative and strategic approach, a much higher degree of business acumen and a really deep understanding of the sort of strategic considerations for senior stakeholders that are being required. And it's really no longer sufficient to be able to just have customer success as a support function and being able to explain certain functionality. From my point of view, there's really a much more strategic approach and a much more consultative approach on that front needed in order to deliver value after customers signed up. So just my that's my uh, two cents on that story. The other two pieces of news, they're more internal announcements. My business uh, was previously Kruger Marketing, for those of you who have been following it for a while. And we just last week relaunched as a, a new brand. So our new brand is Fast Forward Revenue. And previously, we were positioned more as a, a B2B marketing agency. But in fact, for the last one and a half years, 90% of what we've done was sales enablement. So we were just relaunched as Fast Forward Revenue and have a deeper focus on sales enablement. We're already collaborating with businesses uh, around the world on sales enablement initiatives, specifically in developing uh, sales enablement strategies and then also supporting businesses in realizing those strategies. And we're also collaborating with sales enablers in expanding their uh, capacity to deliver on uh, sales enablement initiatives. Yeah, that's just internal news. For anybody who is interested in learning more about it, uh, please shoot me a message. Of course, we, we're interested in taking on more clients. So if there's a consideration on your end, if you're a sales leader who wants to be more strategic about enabling your sales team, we're able to help. Or if you're a sales enabler who wants to increase their capacity to deliver on initiatives, we're also able to help. So shoot us a message. The other uh, couple of ways you can get involved is... Um, we are also looking to expand our network of uh, sales enablement consultants. So we maintain a network of consultants that we engage when certain specialist skills are being needed. So if you're a consultant and you're listening to, to this session, please uh, reach out if you want to partner potentially on getting involved in fast forwards, client projects. And of course, we're also continuing the uh, podcast. So we're also always looking for new podcast guests to join. And if you are a specialist in sales and sales enablement and you have a specific topic you want to talk about on the podcast, also please feel free to reach out to me. It's Felix Kruger. You can find me on LinkedIn. Fast forward, it's spelled FFWD. And yeah, always happy to have a chat as well. Now, lastly, I also want to announce that we start a new format for the podcast as well. And uh, because we receive a lot of questions that are very tactical in nature, I received those questions in my conversations on LinkedIn or when I network um, with the industry. We want to uh, scale the way we respond to those questions and have a new podcast episode format, which will be called Mind the Gap. And what we do on Mind the Gap is we specifically answer very technical questions around sales enablement. And we talk about symptoms of uh, certain issues that you would see across the sales organization and very specific ways or strategies uh, you can utilize to actually solve those problems. And we already have a pipeline of episodes uh, planned, but if you are interested in us having a closer look and covering a certain issue that you're experiencing on the podcast, please, again, feel free to reach out and share the sort of issue that you would like us to observe closer and for us to share uh, specific recommendations on how to tackle that issue on the podcast as well. Now, lastly, I also wanted to quickly cover a question that we had received from the audience. So the 
question is from Dave. Dave is from Brisbane. And he is asking, in relation to the podcast episode with Georgia, what are some of the specific ways Sales Enablement can innovate in their space? So Georgia had actually shared a few ways on the podcast episode. If you're interested in her take on those items, please uh, listen to the episode. There were some great nuggets in there for those of you who are interested just on a high level. So she recommended on a high level, nurturing a innovation culture across the business, help sellers develop the mindset to help buyers innovate in their businesses, and then also innovate in the way we interact with sellers as sales enablers. So those are three ways. I think the fourth way that I briefly mentioned earlier, which I think is uh, something that is underutilized, is that uh, knowledge transfer between industries. So I think sales enablers in the tech world are often uh, times stuck in that common wisdom or body of knowledge that is being uh, built around sales enablement in technology. And it's a great thing that that, that sort of knowledge body is being formed and there's a lot of sharing happening, but the danger of that is also that a echo chamber is being created and you just hear the same pieces of advice over and over again and you don't really can, can't, can't get out of the trap of hearing the same advice over and over again and implementing that. And that means uh, if you see that working, which might well be the case, um, you then pass that same advice on to the next generation of sales enablers and that sort of echo chamber ends up forming. I think a really uh, great way to break through that is by interacting and networking more with people outside of your industry. And actually on Monday, I caught up with Dave Sweeney, who is a sales enabler in the recruitment space. He's based in Scotland. And I think some of the things that he said were really interesting just simply because recruitment is not traditionally an industry where you would find sales enablement. And I think looking at those industries beyond tech that might be new to sales enablement is a really great way to actually gain a new perspective, uh, look at what other peoples are doing and uh, potentially bring that a new approach to your industry and innovate in that way. And yeah, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. As I said, please feel free to reach out to me if you want to gain input or want to share potential issues that you want us to cover in the new Mind the Gap format. Um, we actually won't have a um, Sales Enablement Live episode next week because uh, over here in Australia, it's Australia Day. It's a big holiday over here, but we will cover nonetheless the, the podcast interview session or episode that we publish next week and the one after in the next Sales Enablement Live episode in two weeks. So please make sure to tune in. Uh, thank you so much for joining. I am actually off to get my booster shot now. Wish me luck. Stay safe, everybody. And I will speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Considering the recent budget cuts in the enablement space, it is no surprise that in a recent LinkedIn poll, 56% of enablers stated that they plan to increase their ability to create business impact in 2023. I've teamed up with sales enablement legend Mike Kunkel to create a webinar that outlines proven approaches to maximizing enablement's business impact. To watch the seven steps to maximizing enablement's business impact, visit goffwd.com impact. That's goffwd.com slash I-M-P-A-C-T.